0: You know when we think about who we are to become we still often think about our vocation our position or our identity in the roles we want to have in life right do you want to be a teacher or a mother or a father or an engineer or a doctor but that is not what god cares about most he cares less about our positions and titles and god cares way more about our character who we are on the inside not what we do on the outside our key verse for today is going to be first thessalonians 4 3 through 8 and it clearly says what god's will is it says for this is the will of god your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the gentiles who do not know god that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things, as we told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever, listen to this, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. God's will for you. Is your sanctification now that is a big theological word so what does it mean well the generic meaning of sanctification is just to be in the state of proper functioning to sanctify someone or something is to set the person or item apart for the use of that it was intended by its designer so for instance a pen is sanctified when you use it for writing glasses are sanctified when you use them for sin. So in the same way, a person is sanctified when he or she is living according to God's design and purpose found in the Bible. Now, there are two aspects of sanctification. First, it's the cleansing and purifying of ourselves from sin. God's will for us is to purge sin out of our lives. But the second part of sanctification is growth. Growth of righteousness in our attitudes and our actions. God's will for us is to become more like Jesus in how we feel, in how we think, and in how we act. Now we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, that God knows that one of the hardest areas for us to be sanctified in is sexual temptation. It says that we are to abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now we're getting personal. Now we're gonna get practical. Okay, he is saying to stay away from any sin related to sex. How far away? As far away as needed to be separated from all sexual sin. Now, I've counseled many young people over the years that say that they feel called to get married, and then they ask me what I think. (laughs) And my first concern is whether they are in a current sexual relationship this behavior might hinder them from seeing the character flaws or spiritual immaturity of themselves or the person that they are sexually attracted to. When I ask them how they are doing in the area of purity, some of them get timid and admit that they are in a sexual relationship. Here is where I tell them, well, since you invited me into the conversation, here's what I would tell you. If you are conducting yourself knowingly out of the will of God, and unwilling to obey the will of God that has been revealed in his word, then why would you assume that it is the will of God for this relationship to move forward into a covenant of marriage? If you want God's wisdom for this relationship, you need to back up. Stay in the relationship, but at a pure level, because it is when you are walking in the will of God and pursuing purity, that God will guide the relationship in ways that you cannot imagine. Some listen to my advice and others don't. That is between them and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But I don't see anywhere in scripture where God blesses the lives of those intentionally living in sin. If you are intentionally living in sin, he cannot bless your life. I often hear this from these couples, well, we can't seem to stop having sex, so we might as well get married, so then we are in the will of God. Well, I don't see the decision to get married as a way of purging out sin in your life or a way that you're actually pursuing purity, okay? Sometimes the addiction to intimacy will cloud our eyes and our minds to truly be able to assess this relationship and if it's best for us to enter into a marriage covenant. Do you understand I'm saying covenant? This is not until you fall out of love or until you find someone better. This is a covenant. Till death do you part. That is the Bible. God is gracious, and he does say through Paul to those who are already engaged. In 1 Corinthians 7, he says this. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed or engaged, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, well then let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. The main point is not to marry or not. God's point is, Is that we need to handle our bodies in a pure way. Now, if you're in a dating relationship, a true, pure, godly love would say this to you I will not defile you on this side of marriage. I will respect your body. It is not mine to have. Your body is to be respected and honored and seen as holy before the Lord. I want to protect and preserve you toward that end. That is an honoring dating relationship. Now, if you're in a relationship where your significant other says, I love you, but then comes on to you without respect to the word of God in this area, he or she is in sin. Lust is consuming them, not the deep control that comes with real love. So if you really love someone, You are going to show them that you love them by respecting their body and not giving into your sexual urges until you are married. You are not going to defraud your brother or sister by taking advantage of their body for your own lustful pleasures. Now, single people can struggle with sexual purity as well. We're tempted to lust over others, to look at porn, to stimulate ourselves, and then to possibly engage in behavior that is self-gratifying. This is still sexual sin. Some of the sin was ingrained in me since I was 12 years old. It began when I bought my first romance novel at a yard sale for 25 cents. And I read those graphic scenes and it opened up a sexual desire I had never known before. And it led me to engage in things to satisfy that desire. It was a deep-rooted, addictive sin. And I felt guilty and dirty for it for years. When I was a junior in college, God brought me to this verse and strongly convicted me about how I should be living out my single years with a different focus. And it's found in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restriction on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible are to be devoted to the Lord. How? In body and in spirit. They go hand in hand. You can't go to church, sing songs, say that that's worship, and then go home and engage in sin. We can't act like godless heathen and give in to any fleshly desire that we have. We are no longer to live in the flesh for our human passions, but for the will of God. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5 says this Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We're supposed to suffer. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but look, for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles otherwise known as non-believers, want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Sometimes saying no to our flesh will feel like suffering, It is hard not to gratify our flesh. But this verse shows us this is not just about sex, also drunkenness and lawless idolatry. When we get drunk, we aren't alert to the sin that is around us, and we don't have the self-control often to say no. Getting drunk puts our guard down, and we are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy who wants to destroy us. I see this in a very personal way in my family. My little sister used to walk with Jesus. She waited until she got married to have sex. But seven years into the marriage, her husband divorced her for another man. It devastated her. She started to question God's love for her. She wondered, how could God allow this to happen when she tried to stay pure until she got married? But unfortunately, just because we are pursuing purity doesn't mean we are promised that our significant other will do the same. Her grief led her to drinking wine, which led her to liquor, which led her to becoming a high-functioning alcoholic until she lost her job. Then she got more depressed, drank more, became bitter toward God and others, and it just crept in. She blamed him for her life and she kept drinking. She got a DUI and received jail time. Then she moved in with my parents, more drinking, more bitterness. She was so angry that one evening she attacked my parents and attempted to take their lives. She was suicidal. She didn't want help. I continued to pursue her even up until this past January. But I had to have a boundary that she couldn't see my children because her emotional state was too unstable. And that boundary cost our relationship. And she said that she never wanted to talk to me again. I still pray for her every day. But my sister didn't start out as an alcoholic. She was a fun loving, successful businesswoman who taught in children's ministry at church. But drinking became her idol. She went to it for comfort instead of to God. And one thing at a time was taken from her life. Idolatry is something we long for more than intimacy with Christ. It's what we go to when life gets hard or overwhelming. So what idols do you have in your life? Is it a relationship you know isn't godly? Is it having goals to succeed in school or work or extracurricular activities over God? What do you go to instead of Christ? It can be a lot of things, and it's different for each one of us. Some go to self-harm to try to ease their emotional pain. Some go to the mall and spend more money than they have in their bank, thinking that will bring them joy. Some go to food for comfort. Some go to alternative realities like video games, addictive TV shows, or apps on their phone to escape what is happening in their real life. None of these things is more sinful than the other. That is very important for you to realize. The sin is the fact that we go to these things rather than to God. That is the sin of idolatry, and God doesn't take it lightly. We read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, it says, The Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. And we read in 1 Peter 4, 5, that we will need to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There is a price to pay when we engage in these things. So if you want to be in the will of God, you must, it's not an option, you must surrender whatever you love to do that is not in accordance with God's word. Let me say that again. If you want to be in the will of God, you must surrender whatever you love to do that is not in accordance to the Bible. No doubt abstaining from these things is a sacrifice but it's also a form of worship. We're choosing God and obedience over our flesh and sin. Romans 12, one through two says, "'I appeal to you therefore, brothers," and let's say sisters, "'by the mercies of God to present your bodies "'as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, "'which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. God's will for you is to engage in what is good, acceptable, in the Bible, not the culture, and what is perfect. The world will tell us it is normal to get drunk on the weekends or on your 21st birthday. I... Side note, I met a guy at one of our conferences and he's like, okay, I'm turning 21. Am I at least allowed to get drunk on my 21st birthday? Like, what do I do? And I said, okay, here's a new way of thinking about it. You know, cause it doesn't say you can't drink in the Bible. It just says don't get drunk. So I said, why don't you spend the first 21 days of your 21st birthday days and go try a different bar, all 21 days, but just one drink. And he was like, wow, that's way cooler than just getting drunk one night, you know? And so think differently, right? Think differently, people. Um, It's not like we're being deprived here, but we're not supposed to get drunk. There's some wisdom in this. So anyway, it is normal. Um, The world is telling us that it's normal to have sex while you're dating. The world's telling us it's normal to live together if you're in a serious relationship. It's normal to look at porn. Heck, the world is even normalizing affairs now on TV and on movies, and you're, like, actually wanting these people to have an affair. Like, how messed up is that? That is how Hollywood works on our mind. Um, So we need to ask God to renew our minds according to the values of the Bible because only then will we walk in the will of God. Only then can we experience his guidance, his blessing, his protection on our lives and our relationships. Now, I was determined in high school to live out God's values in the Bible when it came to purity. But let me be honest, it was really hard to say pure. I dated a guy named David for over two years in high school. And that was a long time to be in a relationship and not have sex. I held to the conviction, though, because I just knew I was not going to have sexual intimacy out of marriage. And he knew it, too. And it was a non-negotiable and my boyfriend respected that. But just because he respected me didn't mean he held the same position or convictions. And I learned that when we broke up and we started to date a pastor's daughter um, during my my freshman year of college. And a few months into the semester, she actually called me and she asked if we could talk. And we had never been in the same social circles. I really didn't know her well. And she came to my dorm room and she was crying and she said she didn't know what to do. She said she really wanted David's love and so she gave in and they began to start having sex. She said that she actually felt like a cookie jar and that he could just grab a cookie whenever he wanted. And she felt ashamed that she had given in because she said, I have the same convictions as you. I don't know what happened. I did have the same convictions as you. But she started to think maybe If I give in to him and give him sex, he would love me more than he loved Holly. That was her thought. But what broke her was she actually asked him one day, why didn't you and Holly ever have sex? And he looked at her, kind of dumbfounded, and he said, I respected her too much to even try. I knew she wanted to be right with God and she wanted to be pure, and I thought if I'd try, she'd break up with me. He said that right to her face. I was kind of shocked to hear that he said that to her, right? Um, And she then starts sobbing in my arms um, and she asked me, would you pray for me? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be the hardest prayer I'm ever gonna have to pray. Um, And so I start to pray for her and for her to have the strength to break it off with him. And that was just one of the hardest moments, I think, in realizing I think I really loved this guy in high school. And either he was a different person than he was in high school, or he never was the guy that I thought he was in high school. And years later, after we had both graduated college, I visited my alma mater. And he was still on campus after he graduated, working at the um, copy store on campus. And we just happened to run into each other, so we sat down to catch up and talk. And sadly, I learned he had absolutely no desire to follow Jesus anymore. He was living with his girlfriend, and he said, you know, I don't even know if I'll ever get married. I think we're just kind of happy as we are. And I just thought, wow, that could have been me. That could have been the trajectory of my life if I hadn't held on to my conviction. And I truly believe that God protected me from a relationship that wouldn't have been as best for me if I lowered my convictions and given in to him sexually. It was 14 years later that I met my husband, Matt. 14 years of wondering if I met a man that cared about pursuing purity as much as I did. Now I'm married to a wonderful man who also, I I can't believe it, was a virgin as well when he got married. We got married, he's two years younger, so um, he was 34, I was 35, almost 36, both virgins when we got married. But we still both had sexual sin that we had to confess to one another. And that sin still affected our marriage but we are continually growing in our sanctification together. So one area that my husband and I talk about with most with young people is how looking at pornography does affect intimacy in your marriage once you get married. Those mental pictures will forever be there and your spouse will always have to fight body image issues as their body changes with various seasons in life. It will be in the back of your spouse's mind if you are being faithful, even with your eyes. And trust will need to be gradually built over time, even if you haven't looked at anything inappropriate since you've been married. That is an unfortunate way to begin a marriage. But let's not forget that God is the creator of sex. He can redeem it in marriage. No matter what sexual sin is in your past, the Lord can help you overcome it, find freedom, and receive healing. It's just a reality that now part of your healing is going to have to be with your future spouse, and that's going to take time, intentionality, and vulnerable conversations with one another. Here is the hard truth. We cannot be in sin and be in the will of God. We cannot be in sin and be in the will of God. We cannot love the world and be in the will of God. It's that simple. Look at 1 John 2 with me. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, this is the culture we live in today. Each of these areas, we are encouraged to explore, to experience, and to validate. We are no longer living in a culture that values God and his ways. And that means our lives will need to look drastically different than the world. And this is where the biblical term holiness comes in. The Greek word for sanctification is hyagamos, which means holiness. So to sanctify means to make holy. Fundamentally, holiness is actually cutting off or separation from what is unclean and a consecration to what is pure. So to be holy means to be set apart for the Lord's work and to be different than the world around us. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, not some, all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now. First Peter is quoting what was written in Leviticus 11 and 19 when God told the Israelites his chosen people to be holy. That is where it's found the first time. He was instructing them to be distinct and different than the other nations. And how he did that was by giving them specific regulations that governed their lives. He wanted them to be set apart from other people groups. They were his special people, and God gave them special things that he wanted them to focus on. And that is what Peter is saying in First Peter um, chapter 1, but he's saying it now to all believers, not just to the Israelites. He is talking to us, saying, set yourself apart from the world for the Lord. We need to be living by God's standards, not the world's. We must daily live a life that is set apart, not trying to blend in but living according to God's word as we study the Bible and grow in it. This is so important that God commands us to be holy nine times in the New Testament. Be holy, be holy, be holy. It is so important to him. This is who he wants us to be. Sometimes when we think about holiness, we think it's just a lot of rules, oppressive rules, Um, and we don't think about it as our character development. But truly, these expectations of God are not to oppress us, but to grow us to have more of his heart and mind inside of ourselves. He wants us to continually search our hearts to see if there's any area that we need help purging out and being transformed in. Let me give you a few real challenging examples of things we need to wrestle with. We cannot be okay with these things in our lives. He wants us to love our enemies, people who hate us. He wants us to forgive everyone for anything. You are supposed to forgive anyone for everything, for anything. He wants us to believe the best in others and not gossip, slander, or judge. He wants us to serve and be humble. He wants us to put others' needs in front of our own. Oh, just wait till you get married, and you have to do that okay? He wants us to respect authority as he is the one who put them there. These are really hard. Sanctification, it's pretty painful. I think of it as like open soul surgery with no drugs to numb the pain, and we just realize we're broken, sin-filled people desperately in need of God to change us. God's will for us is to be intentional in our growth, And transformation that's what sanctification is for us to be intentional in our growth and transformation he does not want us to be apathetic complacent or lazy when it comes to our character growth when we are passive about our growth we will give in to temptation because we just don't care but when we are proactive with our growth we will see temptations as opportunities to grow in our character which then will actually weaken the poles of our flesh. What I love about Jesus' prayer in John 17, which is what we read some of last night, he's not just praying that we would be sent once. He's also praying for our sanctification. Look at this. He says in verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Jesus knows that we need to be continually purging sin out of our lives if we are confronted by the truth that is in the word of God. He knows that the more we embrace the truth to be sanctified, this is important, guys, the more impact we're going to have at being sent once. You were sent out today, and you're going to be sent out tomorrow. But if you sanctify your life tonight, if you purge sin out of your life tonight, he will more effectively use your life tomorrow as a sent one, because that's what he does. Now, the men and women of the Bible that had the most impact on people were not the people with the least amount of sin, okay? They weren't the goody-goody churchgoers. Those were the Pharisees right the men and women that god used the most were the people with repentant humble teachable hearts and so here's what we all need to realize tonight it is not about how far away from holiness you have been or even are right now it doesn't matter it's about being committed right now to growing and becoming more like him daily that's what he cares about we need to continue to experience his grace he's ready to give it to you. His forgiveness, he's ready to give it to you because the gospel is needed in our lives even today so we could be effective at sharing it with people even tomorrow. So what area do you need to be sanctified in? What do you need to purge out in order to pursue holiness? Well, as we think about those areas, I want to close by talking about how we can grow in our sanctification in order to be in his will. We need to come to a place where we understand we did not only invite Jesus into our life as our Savior, but as our Lord to have our life have victory over sin. He didn't just save us from sin. He wants us to have victory over sin. Just like we could not achieve salvation on our own, we cannot achieve sanctification on our own. It it says in the Bible that it is God the Father who sanctifies us. And not just a little bit. He is committed to working on our sanctification until it's complete. Until we are blameless. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself, himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely sanctify you. We know that we will be fully sanctified one day, not because of our efforts, but because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father and he died on the cross for us. Jesus says in Hebrews um, 10, I have come to do your will. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This means if you have decided, put your true faith in Jesus, that you have no fear of condemnation, no matter what you have done in your life. Jesus is in our lives, and he wants us to have peace in his eternal covenant with us. We won't be condemned. He's not going to give up on you. He is for you, not against you. God the Father's goal is to make you like Christ, not condemn you because you are not like him yet. He is in the process of sanctifying you right now, and he will complete your sanctification when you get to heaven. Now, we also know that God is going to equip us on how to do his will. It says in Hebrews 13, Now may the God of peace, look again, he's a God of peace. We keep hearing how God is a God of peace. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, hmm, he must be pretty powerful, right? The great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you, not with a few things, not with like a fanny pack, okay? Equip you with everything good that you may do as well. Do you even know what a fanny pack is? Uh, Okay, are they back in style? No way. Okay, I'm trying to lose my tummy, not add more to it. Come on. Okay, so equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So equip means to supply with the necessary items for a particular purpose, to prepare mentally for a particular situation or task. So the items that God has given you to equip you in your sanctification and to do his will is the word of God and the Holy Spirit, which is what I'm going to expound on tomorrow night. Here is the deal, though. We might be equipped in the word. Some of us have been raised in the church, in Christian homes, or even going to Christian schools, but we may not be still desiring for it to work a change in our life thank goodness we have a good shepherd who will gently guide us with his staff and lovingly discipline us with his rod when we walk off course all of us even with our good intentions will fall off course it can start subtly and you don't even realize it for me With my strong convictions, there was no way I would ever think of having an affair. But that didn't mean Satan didn't know how to deceive me in such a way that my thoughts were moving further from sanctification and moving closer to justifying sin. So I'm going to close by sharing with you a very real vulnerable story of my own life. When I was a national director with Crew, I was still single and I co-led with a married man who I highly respected and worked well with. We had been through a lot over our eight years of working together. Often crisis is what brings people together and where intimacy grows. And there was a season in our co-leading relationship where we trusted each other immensely because there were other staff that were stabbing us in the back. It was painful and it was personal. And I remember being a bit jealous that he got to go home and talk about these challenges with his wife. I went home to talk to my best friend, but she was a curious staff who also wanted to know what was really going on behind the scenes on our leadership team. And for integrity's sake, I couldn't open my mouth. I couldn't tell her what was happening. And that meant I couldn't defend myself when I heard lies and accusations. And my co-leader, he empathized with me that my best friend painfully chose to trust other people over me. My co-leader spoke belief in me about how I was following the Lord and trusting him in some of the hardest ways in leadership. But my mind began to wonder, what if his wife died? If she died, then I could marry him. Now understand, I absolutely loved his wife. She is one of my closest friends to this day. In no way did I want her to die but I wanted her husband, and I knew I'd never have an affair, so this was the only way that I could imagine it in my mind. Isn't that creative, how Satan works? The thoughts started to come, though, more and more often. I started to wonder if God was actually preparing me for her to die. I really thought she might die. Then, one day, we had a long flight. This is when we were in California, and we actually had a fly to Florida. And it was the worst turbulence ever on this really long flight. And I absolutely hate turbulence, like it just makes me weak. I'm like in the fetal position, breathing, I mean, just, I'm just a wimp. I mean, I've traveled all over the world, turbulence still just, I hate it. Anyway, so after the turbulence is done, I was like, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I get up and my co-leader was sitting somewhere further away, but he also was standing up getting ready to get in line to use the restroom. and. all all I can explain is there was this emotion that flooded up over me. I was tired, weak, vulnerable, and I just wanted to be in his arms. And knowing him, he would have innocently embraced me if I turned in his direction. But at that moment, I heard a very loud voice in my head, and it said, walk the other direction. Use the restrooms up front. And I chose to listen and obey. I took those steps away from him and every single step felt like I was climbing up Mount Everest. I was walking away from my flesh and into God's will of obedience. It was painful and it was hard. I knew after that incident that I had to confess my thoughts to somebody. I couldn't trust just my convictions anymore. I needed to bring it into the light and share it in community. So I just went right to the top. I went straight to my pastor after a service and I told him I needed help because my mind wasn't thinking clearly and I felt like I was in um, a vulnerable state of falling. I told him how I kept thinking about my co-leader and how if his wife died, we could get married. My pastor wasn't taken aback at all that here I am a full-time leader in a missions organization and I'm struggling in this area of sanctification. He knew the enemy and his schemes but my pastor also knew me and he looked me right in the eyes, and he gave me two doses of reality and he said, Holly, let's just play this out, okay? He goes, um, let's say she does pass away and you get to marry him. What then? Don't they have five kids? Yes. Don't they homeschool them? Yes. Don't you think your new role is not going to just to be his wife, but you're going to need to step down as a national director and you're going to need to homeschool his children while he's out co-leading with someone else. Oh, I mean, the whole reason I moved from California to Arizona is because I don't want to homeschool, and I didn't really want them in public school, and I couldn't afford private school. I was like, okay, I am not called to homeschool. It's not a bad thing. I'm just not called to do that. And so I knew I'm not called to homeschool his kids, you know. The second dose of reality was this. He said, "Um, if at some weak moment we did give in, even had a kiss, it could destroy the whole ministry. We oversaw over 300 staff and thousands of students. What would happen if in one moment of weakness we pursued our flesh versus pursuing holiness? Many others might fall. Some people might even lose their faith. We'd have to step down from leadership. It could have torn apart his whole family. It could have been hell on earth. I am so thankful I confessed what was tormenting me. I am so thankful for the wise pastor that led me to see the reality and consequences of my sin. He didn't just tell me to repent. He helped me to grasp the depravity of my heart. And even if I had acted on it, even if I hadn't acted on it, I had meditated on it. I had considered it. I had been enticed. So maybe after tonight's talk, you are grasping the depravity of your own heart. Even if you haven't acted on it, you know your heart can be easily enticed. Or maybe your heart just feels open and bare now. I just did open-soul surgery on some of you. And you just want the healing hand and presence of your Savior. Maybe some of you know Jesus, have said you believe in Jesus, but realize there has never been sanctification in your life. You have never really turned from the ways of the world, and you want to really put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord tonight. We're going to go into a time of personal prayer, a time where you can confess to the Lord, where you haven't walked in his ways and asked for his forgiveness. And this is a time to surrender what you've been holding on to so that you can experience freedom tonight. If you'd like prayer, there are going to be staff in the back of the room who can pray for you if you'd like to do it in a community like I did. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, um, and I'm going to ask us if we could just go into prayer, and if you could just bow your heads with me. Um, I just want to guide you on some things that you can be praying in this, in this time together. If you would like to have freedom and forgiveness in your life tonight, admit to God where you've chosen your flesh, or admit where you're tempted. Confess your sin to him. Surrender to him those fleshly desires and temptations. And ask him to sanctify you in in this area. He will equip you. He will do it. Listen to this promise in 1 John 5. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to God's will, and his will is your sanctification, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, We know that we have the request that we ask of him. God's will for you is your sanctification. Pray for him to sanctify you, and he will do it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this could be a very deep conversation for some people, as maybe some people have been living in darkness, in secrets, in quiet areas that they have never shared with you or with someone else. That shame is hindering them from experiencing the abundant life that you have for them. God, your will for them, who you want them to be, is a sanctified person that pursues holiness and righteousness in their life. God, give them the courage and the strength to open their hands and surrender tonight. God, if there's anyone here that has not yet made you Lord of their life, I pray that they would do that here tonight that they would give their life completely over to you, trusting you to do the changing in their life, one thing at a time. Thank you, God, that you don't overwhelm us with all of our sin at once, but you continue to reveal it to us moment by moment, little by little. Thank you for your grace, God. May we come to you now, authentic, real, vulnerable, and may you heal us. In your name we pray, amen.